Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Church, I want to welcome our simulcast viewers this morning. I thank you for joining with us. I believe God's got a nugget for you to deposit and ever change your lives this morning. You know, the last month we've been blessed in this house. Pastor Rick and Kathy did a series on the parables. And as I was sitting in my seat and I tell you, I've had so much revelation on these parables that I want to speak to you this morning on the parable of the prodigal son. But before I get there, that's why I call this before you leave home. We need to reflect. Last week, I believe Pastor Rick made a statement from statistics from Barna that people believing in hell are the same in the church and in the world. That 62% of people in the church believe there's no hell. That floored me. And I started pondering on that. I'm saying, why aren't they believing in hell? The scriptures are so very clear. I want to expose that lie this morning for what it is. Are they not believing because they want to live any which way they want? He also said there was a lawless spirit in these last days that's been released. That people are just going to do their own thing. But there's a price to pay. I want to expose that lie. We're going to let the scriptures speak to us this morning to show you there is such a place called hell that we need to shun and a heaven to gain. Matthew 7, 21 and 23. Not all who sounds religious are really godly people. They may refer to me as Lord, but still won't get into heaven. For the decisive question is whether they will obey my Father in heaven. And at the judgment, many will tell me, Lord, Lord, I told others about you. We cast out demons. We did many miracles in your name. And I will reply, I have never, you've never been mine. Go away, for your deeds are evil. That's sobering to me. Remember, We all already know the standard of judgment found in John 12, verse 48. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I speak will condemn him at the last day. You know, eternal judgment and punishment are really elementary doctrines of our church which are having uh, repentance from dead works, putting your faith towards God, the baptisms, 
laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. They're doctrines. They're absolutes. Hell is a real place, folks. And my prayer to none of us had head there. It wasn't made for us. You have to choose to go there. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. He says, heaven can be entered only through a narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gates are wide enough for the multitude to choose the easy way. It's easy to head hell's way. But the gateway to life is small. The road is narrow, and only a few find it. Sobering. Why would anyone not believe there's such a place called hell? 2 Timothy 3, 1 to 5. That's why. You may well know this too, Timothy. That in the last days, there's going to be a very difficult time to be a Christian. There's going to be a price to pay. People will love only themselves and their money. They will proud, be proud and boastful and sneer at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful to them, and thoroughly bad. They will be hard-headed and never give in to others. They will be constant liars and troublemakers, and they will think nothing of immorality. They will be rough and cruel and sneer at those who try to live good. They will betray their friends. They will, they will be hot-headed, puffed up with pride, and prefer good times to worshiping God. They will go to church. Yes, they'll go to church. But they won't really believe anything they hear. Don't be taken by people like that. That's why they want to be able to live their lifestyle and not feel condemned. So if there's no hell to shun, June, Jude 4. I say this because some godless teachers have warmed their way among you, saying that after we become Christians, we can do just as we like without fear of God's punishment. And that is not what my scriptures teach. Their fate of such people are already written long ago. For they have turned against our only master, our Lord Jesus Christ. They hide under the guise of grace. They use grace as a license to live their lifestyle. You can't tell them nothing. They're not teachable. They're going to do it their way. Well, that's the theme song in hell. I did it my way. True grace is this. It's God's empowering presence within you to do what faith demands of us, to live right. That's what grace is for, to pick up your cross and to follow him. The greatest lie creeping into the body of Christ today is eternal security. Once you've got it, you can't lose it. That's not what my Bible says. Listen to 2 Chronicles 15, verse 1 and 2. Then the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, son of Oded, 
And he went out to meet King Asa as he was returning from battle. Listen to me, Asa, he shouted. Listen, all you people of Judah and Benjamin, or WCF. The Lord will stay with you as long as you stay with him. Whenever you seek him, you'll find him. But if you abandon him, he'll abandon you. It's a two-way street in a relationship. God's not going to hang around just because he loves you. You're going to have to love him back. He's not going to hang around going to serve you just because he wants to serve you. You're going to have to serve him back. It's a lie to believe that you can live any which way you want and think that the outcome will make no difference. The Bible still is very clear according to Ezekiel 24, 18-24. However, if righteous people turn from their righteous behavior and start doing sinful things and act like other sinners, should they be allowed to live? Of course not. All their righteous acts will be forgotten and they will die for their sin. Oh, that's Old Testament, Pastor Luke. Well, let's look at the New Testament. Let's turn to Revelations 3, verse 5. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garment. And I will not blot out his name from the book of life. For I will confess his name before my father and before the angels. That statement alone, he who overcomes, tells me that we're going to have challenges to overcome in this life. Like last week we heard, adversity will bring opportunity of what we do with these challenges. The scripture is very clear that we need, we're going to have obstacles that will come our way to try to sell you a lie, to trip you up, to get you offended. That's the work of the enemy. He's here to try to disconnect you. Then he goes on and he warns us, the word, watch out for the quicksand. The word in Psalm 40 says, calls it the miry clay. Ezekiel 47, 11, he says, it tells us, to watch out for the miry places, watch out for the quicksand. Watch out for those that are ready to ambush you and steal what you got. Precious jewels live in us. And there's people that are sent against you to steal what you've got. The Bible is still very clear. It says, fight to make your calling and election sure. Fight that no man steal your crown. That means we're in a war. We're going to have fights before us. My God calls me an overcomer. Not only an overcomer, a conqueror in Christ Jesus. He would never ask us to do anything that cannot be attained. Fight the good fight of faith, he says. Don't let your enemies sidetrack you. There's a lot of voices out there. Stay in the middle of the road. If you walk too close to the edges, you might fall off that road. Because Matthew is very clear. You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. 
But the gateway to life is very narrow, and it's a road that is difficult. Only a few that find it. I don't know about you, but these scriptures are sobering to me. Guess what? We've got heaven to gain at the end of this road. We've got hell to shun. Deuteronomy 29 says, When such people heard the words of this oath, Deuteronomy 29, 19-20, he invokes a blessing on himself and therefore thinks, I'll be safe even though I persist in going my own way. This will bring disaster on the watered land and as well as the dry. And the Lord will never be willing to forgive him, for his wrath and zeal will burn against that man. And all the curses written in that book will fall upon him, and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. We see, Revelation says, the Lord will leave your name in the book of life. Here, he's going to blot it out. Because we're talking about two different people. It stands to say that once you've tasted the goodness of God and you've walked in the Shekinah glory of God and you've experienced his unconditional love and forgiveness, once walking hand in hand with the crucified Christ and walking in purity, having been cleansed by the sanctified blood of Christ, once having begun to plow, the Bible says in Luke 9:62, no one having put his hands to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's what my Bible says. A lot of people who need to hear this aren't here today. They have different pursuits that are often called idols. You know, sport can be an idol. Your children, grandchildren can be idols. Who comes first? God wants to be first. That's the difference. We're going to take a look at the amazing testimonials that we can find in Luke 15 that was read by my grandson this morning. You know, chapter 15 of Luke talks about three parables. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. Pastor Rick and Kathy did such a good job on them. But it opened up something that I had never seen before. Talking about the lost sheep. I stand before you today to tell you I was a lost sheep at one time. And what I'm going to have to share later on, I believe, will be a nugget that can bring you over the hump. You know, we, Pastor Rick read the, the story of the last sheep from the book of Luke. Then he went to Matthew, and he read it out of Matthew, but Matthew expounded on that. He says the reason he left the 99, he went after that one lost sheep, was because he was offended. The, the enemy will use offense to get you to disconnect, and to leave home. It's sad to say, but it's the truth. We see it all the time. All these parables point to the same thing. 
that God is reaching out to lost, lonely, hurting, and dying humanity with grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Our God's always there, waiting for us to come back. The heart of God has never changed. It's the same today that it was in Luke's gospel in chapter 15. It's time to recognize that we are still serving a Christ that has been on finding the lost coin, the lost sheep, still looking for the prodigal to come home. We're going to take a look at this parable through the eyes of the skit guys and just listen to what they have to say concerning the prodigal son. And we'll see what we can glean from this. You ever get tired of your just boring day-to-day life? I do. I should say I did. Then I decided to do something about it. Conventional wisdom says you live your life, you grow up, your parents die, they leave an inheritance for you. That wasn't working for me. I wanted to enjoy that inheritance now, so I decided to do something about it. So one day, I walked straight up to my dad, looked him square in the eye, and I said, Dad, I want what's coming to me right now. That's what my youngest son said to me. At that moment, all I could think of was, I'd like to give what's coming to him right now. But he's my son, and I love him. And as much as it put an ache in my heart, I gave him the money, and I told him that he could go search for a life on his own. Not long after that, he packed his bags, and the next thing I knew, I was out of there. The friends, the food, the clothes, it was, it was great. Until my son's money ran out around the same time the country hit a recession. It was bad. Really bad. I squandered everything my dad had given me, and uh, I didn't have anywhere to live, anything to eat. So it was, it was hunger pains, a constant reminder of how I'd squandered my life away. I, I lived in agony day after day. After day after day, I would watch and I would wait. And my heart would ache as only a heart can from a parent to a child. But hear me on this. I never once gave up on my child. I knew that he would come back one day. One day it hit me. I realized my dad's lowliest worker was living like a king compared to me. So I had an idea. See, I would go up to him and, and I would humbly just ask him for a job. I, I couldn't expect him to take me back as a son, but maybe he would give me a job, just maybe. It was a beautiful day. I was sitting there on the porch, just enjoying the cool breeze. And that's when I saw him. He stood up. He, he looked in my direction and he squinted his eyes to kind of get a better look at me. Wondered if he would take me back. And then my dad jumped off the porch. You know what I did next? I ran. I've never seen him run so fast. He, he, he was like, he was like this kid who was excited about something. And then, and then I realized he was excited about me. My heart was pounding so fast, I just had to get to him. He was running at me with his arms stretched out as if to say, welcome home. Welcome home, welcome home. And as I got closer to him, I could, I could see tears in his eyes. 
dad was crying. Tears of joy. And you know what my boy did next? He jumped. <laughs> I couldn't help it. I, I jumped right into my dad's arms and you know what he did? Well, I fell backwards. He, he, he's a big boy. He held me. He held me like only a father could. I just kept saying to him over and over again, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't deserve to be called your son. My son. My son is home. Get him some clean clothes. Get, get him some shoes for his feet. Let's prepare a meal. No. No. Let's prepare a feast. For my son will no longer live as an orphan. Today we will celebrate, for all my hopes have come true. I guess so. I guess it was hope. Hope that kept me going all those days. Hope that my father would show me mercy. Hope that somehow he would take me back and that I could be forgiven. Forgiven? It is all forgiven. It is forgotten. And I will never bring it up again. There is no anger, there is no shame, there is no blame. All that's left is just pure joy. For my child was lost, and now he's found. So what can we learn from this? Well, the first thing is this man, he wanted his father's possessions. And he didn't want his father's presence. Big difference. And I tell you, I was that lost sheep. And my heavenly father acted exactly as he did in that skit. And I'll share that a bit later. You know, we have all kinds of people sitting in the pews. They're here because someone told them they'd get something in return. And some preacher refused to tell them they were sinners and needed a savior. They needed to repent. Instead, they told them, just come. God will receive you as you are, and they'll add righteousness to you. You can't fill a ditch until a ditch has been dug to be filled. You can't receive righteousness until you first recognize that you're a sinner in need of a savior. And you repent of your sins and start showing fruits of repentance. For God to put something in, there's got to be room made for it. And that means there's got to be something that's already there that needs to come out. When you get saved, we've got garbage to get rid of. That means I'm just tired of people running and hearing. Just give your heart to Jesus and everything will be rosy. That's not the walk that I've walked. God's going to bless your business, brother. He's going to bless your kids. Just come. It's just like joining a bless me club. Well, let me tell you this. 
This business is not a bless me club. It's, it's the kingdom of almighty God club. And there's only one way in. It's the blood route, the repentance route, the confession route, and the dying route. If you want to live, you're going to have to die. Psalm 106, David said to the children of Israel, and they cried out, God, their request to God was heard. But he also sent them leanness of of heart, leanness of soul. And oftentimes, we see people, the church of North America today is blessed. We've got beautiful clothes to wear. We've got money in our pockets. We know where our next meal is coming from. But I just wonder why the church, corporately, having all these things, is getting less done for the cross of Christ at any other time in history per capita. When's the last time you led someone to Jesus? We're losing ground every day. There's a lost and dying world out there. If people truly believe what the word says, they would obey. 18% of people today tithe in the church what we've done. We've bombarded heaven with our own selfish wish list and lined it up with the word of God. We come, become spoiled. God is a covenant-keeping God. He will not break his covenant. He will answer. You can take the Bible and line it up with the right verses. God is bound to his covenant. It doesn't mean that he wants to give you what you're asking. It doesn't mean that his plan for you is name it, confess it, and claim it. It may ruin you and make havoc out of your life. We've got it all crossed up. If you want to follow Christ, find yourself a Gethsemane. Get yourself a Gethsemane and cry out to God and tell him that you're not interested in his possession. You're interested in his presence. I'll go where you want me to go, Lord. I'll say what you want me to say. I'll do what you want me to do. It's time that we stop telling God and telling him how to order our steps. My Bible says the steps of the righteous are ordered from him. God is saying, I'll order your steps aright. I'll make your feet as hinds feet. I'll keep you from falling. Seek me. We're saying, give me what's mine. I want it now, just like the prodigal. God is saying, you're not ready. I thought you wanted me. God is, has nothing to give you until you recognize that true riches are found in the kingdom of God. When I newly saved, God gave me one scripture. And I took it to the bank and he's never let me down. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything else you'll ever need in life, I'll take care of you. I'm telling you, he's a faithful God to perform his word. God doesn't have existence to give you. God is existence. God is healing. He is prosperity. You get him, you've got the rest. Until you discern that Jesus must become the totality 
of your answer to prayer, you are prostituting the kingdom of God with your own fleshly, lustful gain. It's time for us to stop, folks. It's time for us to seek, stop seeking the creation and start seeking the creator because it's all about him. It's all about him. God is not here this morning for your good pleasure. We've got it all backwards. You're here for his pleasure. See the difference? We've got it backwards. The prodigal son was amazed to see how easy it was to leave home. His father just didn't beg him to stay. Nobody followed him down the road. Somebody hurt my feeling. That's, that's going to happen. And that's what the enemy uses to drive you out. It's time we quit living by feeling and start living by faith. See how easy it is to leave the Father's house? All you have to do is will it. Walk out. He's not going to stop you. Your free will. He gave us the most precious gift of all is a free will to choose, to make choices every day. Am I, well, my feelings are hurt. I'm going to have a pity party. And how do you owe some egos? That's how the lost sheep got lost. You know, I could be out there getting drunk by 3 o'clock this afternoon. That's a choice I make. Nobody's going to stop me. He's not going to stop me. We have choices to make. This prodigal son, he didn't backslide in the pig pen. He started sliding on a Sunday morning service. His heart wasn't there. The feelings were hurt. He disconnected. He started getting cold, hardness of heart. He started getting complacent and selfish. Started only wanting the Father's possession rather than his presence. I want to say that while it's easy to leave the Father's house, you cannot be driven out. God has given each one of us a free will. It's time for us to grow up. The only difference between me and the backslider is hell. And the good news is this. God is married to the backslider. He's always there waiting for his children to come to him. In the Father's house, there's care, there's provision, there's prosperity, there's peace. We need to get back to the Father's house. We're backsliding and we say we're sick. People come to church when they feel like it anymore. It's nothing to miss church anymore. People that need to hear this aren't here this morning. I don't understand having tasted the things of God and wanting to go back to the filth of this world. That's how deceptive the enemy is. We hear... Uh, what would possess a man to leave the father's house in the first place? What happens to a man who sells out? Only one thing. The devil sold him a lie. 
And they bought it. Once again, who are we going to blame with all this? The devil? No. No. The Bible is very clear in Isaiah 49, 16. See, I have engraved you in the palm of my hands. Your father's talking to you. John 10, 29. For my father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch him from my father's hands. You've got to will it. You've got to tell your heavenly father, I've got enough. I'm leaving your house. The devil can't make you do nothing. He can make suggestions. I tell you, I was a lost sheep. was sat in these pews for a year. In a war. And the devil never chased me out of this place. And my father was waiting for me to come home. I was disconnected from my father's house, even though I was here. The wages of sin is still death. Who can we blame? Flip Wilson used to say, the devil made me do it. That's a lie. You made you do it. The devil makes the suggestion, but instead of say, saying your soul is not for sale, guess what? You sold your soul to the enemy. James 1, verse 13 and 14. And remember, when you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God has never tempted you to do wrong. He never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from your own desire, which entices us and drags us away from the Father's house. Lust of the flesh, pride of life. It's time for us to cling on to the old rugged cross, guys. Stay in the church every service you can. Because there's a storm coming. It's getting dark out there. A satanic assault that is loose against the body of Christ such as the planet has ever experienced. It's, time, it's no time to be hanging around by your shoestrings. Nail your feet to the floor. Shut the window of the world. Lock the door to the devil. And put up a sign, no vacancy. There's no room in the inn. I'm a child of God. And devil, you can whisper in my ear all you want. I remember telling him that so often. I am not leaving this place. Get a flashing sign that says the storm is coming. Let's get into the father's house. The prodigal found out that the honeymoon was short. These are things that we can discern. Party was over. 
The devil will promise you a rainbow, but he'll deliver the rain. It, how insane a man begins to act when he gets away from the Father's presence. What a fool's sins will make out, will make out of you. It'll make you sick with AIDS. It'll leave you with a little baby when you're a little baby yourself. The devil will use a fiddle to lead you out of the Father's house. Then he'll use the same fiddle to hit you over the head. Don't look back. The world has nothing to offer. That God is far better for you. Some of you are contemplating leaving the Father's house. I know in my spirit. I've been there. This is your moment of destiny. If the lost sheep was lost because of offense, what do you think the devil's going to use today? Through that trial, 25 years ago, I've learned one of life's most valuable lessons. But it's sad to say that I had to learn it the hard way. Whatever had transpired at the time, I was trying to work it through. When you're in that valley, there's many voices. And for a year, I sat in these seats, and I went through the motions. I was faithful, but I was hurting inside. I was disillusioned. You know when you only know in part? Guess what? I was lost. I didn't know how to come back home. But my father did. He sent me and friends to a conference in the States for four days. And God ministered to us. But I was still bound. I was still hurting. Then I hear they got a two-week extension, what they call Holy Spirit explosion. Anybody that wanted to stay behind and go to school for two weeks? I was hurting so bloody bad. I call. I book time off work. I said, I'm staying here. For two weeks, we sat under the Word of God. And on the last day, the pastor of that church came, and guess what? He sat on my table, started thanking us for the commitment we had made, and et cetera, et cetera. Then he opened the door, the floor, to anyone that might have had a question. Well, smart me. I threw out the scenario that I was fighting for a year. He gave me the best spiritual spanking I ever had in my life that I so deserve and needed. And the bottom line was this. You can be so right in what you see and hear and so wrong in how you're going to deal with it. I was blinded by pride. I couldn't see the errors of my ways. And my father loved me enough to make a way for me, to get my attention. And that was Friday. A Sunday we stayed for the service, and I wept through the whole service. God was showing me how much he loved me. He cared for me, that he had made a way for me. And he healed my hurts, my disappointment, my disillusionment, 
to the point that I was able to come back to the Father's house and be a blessing rather than a thorn in somebody's side. That's how much the Father loves us. He's always there waiting for us to come home. To deliver us from the snares of the enemy. That Sunday I left that church. I wanted to fly. I felt so free. So clean. I had lost my peace. I found my peace. I found forgiveness at the cross. And I realized how much my father loved me. I tell you, he's no respecter of person. Regardless of what you face today, he's, made, he's there for you. He's waiting for you. You know what happened during that year? My pride blinded me. You can't repent when you just don't see your sin. When you point the finger and everybody else is wrong. I thought I was called to the ministry of correction. And that's how much my father let me go so that I could learn the most valuable lesson of all. You can be so right in what you see and hear and so wrong in how you're going to deal with it. That's why I like to read this little book that I gave all the ushers to read every year. The Tale of Three Kings. The Story of David and Saul. Man, if anybody had right to defend himself and start talking about the man of God was David. And he would not put a hand on Saul until God intervened. God took him out so that he made room for David to come. But David would not dare to touch the anointed man of God. That was a valuable lesson to learn for me. And it served me well. Because I'm still here 25 years later. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand.